Hello and welcome to the Bristol to Beijing podcast. I'm Luke Grenfell-Shaw and I'm cycling from Bristol to Beijing on my tandem Chris. I left Bristol in January 2020 and it's fair to say it hasn't been straightforward so far. As I continue my expedition, I want to share the journey with you. And each episode, I'll be sharing my thoughts and experiences from the past week on the road. And occasionally, I'll also be chatting with someone who can shed some light on the countryman in as I try and understand the world a little better. So, without further ado, what's happened this past week? Just occasionally, there are times in life when all you want to do is pull hard on the brakes. Well, this is a story about a time when the brakes didn't work. It's been a little while since the last podcast and it is time for an update from the road and I thought I would experiment with a slightly different format of telling a story. Now, I am currently in Kyrgyzstan in the southern city of Osh. However, over the past couple of weeks, I have cycled from Bishkek 700 kilometers with 7,000 meters of climbing, which is basically Everest, to Osh. Now, Kyrgyzstan is right in the heart of Central Asia, and it's got Kazakhstan bordering it on the north, it's got China to its east, and to its west, there's Uzbekistan, you know, and far off sort of Turkey. So it's slap bang in the middle of the continent of Eurasia. And it has a reputation for being the Switzerland of Central Asia. And with good reason. I think 80% of the country is mountainous. And there are some beautiful, large turquoise lakes spread throughout the country, in fact. Um, but the mountains certainly do play a role in this story. In Bishkek, I met up with Carolyn, who is an American who I met in Tashkent. And for some reason, unbeknownst to me, she decided that she would like to join on Chris, the tandem between Bishkek and Osh. And so we set off together and I think it's at this point worth reminding everyone listening just how much stuff and weight uh, I lug around. So the bike itself is probably 25 kilos. Then there's baggage. There are four bags on the bike, large bags, a trailer, which has a tent. It had Carolyn's bag in. It's got cooking stuff. It's got food. It's got water. And then there's also a bag on top of the back wheel which is um oh, it's got it's got spices in it it's got my lock it's got some repair stuff uh yeah and it's my little cooking bag where there's a knife and spoon and wooden spatula for stirring and to top it all off there is also a rim a spare rim in case one of them breaks luckily that hasn't happened since turkey so to put it into perspective we've got about 60 70 kilos on the bike with bags included. Then there's me, probably about another 70 kilos. And then there's Carolyn. So one way or another, we're carrying around the best part of 200 kilos. 
So probably like the weight of a small, a little baby elephant, we are carting around Kyrgyzstan. Now we made some very good progress um, and this was probably one of the toughest, physically toughest legs of the trip so far because of the mountains. And to put this into perspective, the first day we hit the mountains, we spent six and a half hours just going uphill. 2,000 meters of climbing. That's like double Ben Nevis, pretty much. Uh, really double Scaffold Pike in the United Kingdom, in, in England, that is, in the Lake District. A, a hell of a long way, a lot of climbing, uh, particularly with 200 kilos. However, you know, Huge credit to Carolyn. She was putting out some great power on the back and we managed to get up those climbs. Now it was really the second pass that we came to, a place called Alabel, which is at 3,125 meters, I wanna say. And this is really some of the most beautiful areas of Kyrgyzstan that I've been through. There are lush green rolling fields that roll away from the road and then maybe two or three kilometers distant the mountains rise sharply up so there's this kind of dual mountainous feel to Kyrgyzstan very often that you've got the rolling hills and then you've got the mountains that just soar up out of them a little bit further into the distance so you've got landscape that's green and then it goes gray and then at the top it goes white where there's snow and on the fields surrounding us in the top of this pass there were horses there were yurts uh, and uh, quite a few Kyrgyz cars just stopping to take a photo of the pass and when they saw us then <laughs> taking photos of us as well and um, it really felt like you know the quintessential the essence of Kyrgyzstan in a very cliched way that you had these yurts where you could buy kimis which is fermented mare's milk you could buy kurut which are these sort of hard, salty cheese balls, um, like the size of a large Malteser, uh, but not really as tasty. Anyway, we get back to the top of the pass, Alabel, at 3,125 meters. And from there, we're gonna, gonna descend towards Toktagul, which is this lake uh, about 2,000 meters beneath where we are, a uh, huge flooded reservoir that was um, flooded in order to, um, because there was a dam that was built to generate uh, electricity. So there's a hydropower generating dam a bit further down. So we we're going down this descent. And I guess sometimes in life, you know, there are times when you really want to be in control. And there are some times in life where you can kind of let, you're not fully in control, but you can let life kind of take you where it wants to. And as we started down this descent, it went very steeply downhill. Like you're sort of looking, you're looking down and your stomach almost lurches because you can see a long way down on this gray strip of tarmac. And very quickly we build up a lot of speed. And at this point, I decided I'm just going to, we're going way too fast, really. We're going to pull on the brakes and I can pull on the brakes and slowly, slowly we come to a stop and by the side of the road. And 
I look down at the brakes and, you know, there's this shimmer coming off them because they have got so hot and they've also warped shape. So they're, they're no longer, they're the disc brakes, which is this like disc of metal, which is rather than breaking on the wheel, you break on this disc of metal uh, and it had warped out of shape. It was no longer kind of a straight disc. It was kind of wobbling all over the place when I span the wheel. So we waited for a bit of time and I explained to Carolyn that we're going to just wait for the brakes to cool down and then they work better because also when the brakes get super hot, they stop working very well. And so Carolyn was super understanding about this and was like, yeah, let's just, you know, safety first. And so we waited for a few minutes and then we descended further down this 60 kilometer. So I guess that's what, 40, 35, 40 mile pass or descent um, and like there were woodlands either side of this amazing fresh mountain breeze uh, that compared to Bishkek which is kind of a little bit polluted these days um, this mountain air was just gloriously fresh and the smell of pines and the cold blast of rushing water from the stream next to us made it just an incredible place to be and we carried on descending and quite quickly it then sort of flattened off it was still going downhill but it wasn't this super steep gradient and you could really see the bends going ahead and at this point I realized that actually I don't need to pull on the brakes very much I actually don't need to stop all I need to do is make sure I can take these bends safely I know what's roughly enough coming around the corner so if I do need to scrub off a bit of speed uh, because it's a sharper corner well I can do that. But actually, most of the time when you're cycling, you don't need to stop. And so this was a case of just letting life take you as it comes and not fully being in control, but being in control enough so that you're it's safe and it's enjoyable. And we were passing like uh, honey, mountain honey, gorni miod by the side of the road and like beehives with multicolored beehives that were blue and yellow and green and red. And further down, we saw mountain raspberries. And so it was a really beautiful descent. Now, two days later, we went up the other side of the Toctagal Reservoir. So this big expanse of water, it took us about 50 miles to cycle around it. And then we had this pass that we were going to climb up. And so once again, in this, it was pretty hot. It was about 35 degrees. So we are sweating buckets and we climbed for about an hour to get to the top of this pass. And at the top, you know, I was kind of aware that the previous time we'd gone down a steep slope, you know, the brakes got pretty hot. So I just made sure everything was tight, everything was working. And then we rolled over the crest of the hill and started descending. And again, there's this gray strip of concrete that is plunging down and twisting quite sharply. And out from the concrete are these beige, sandy hills, not mountains, but just on one side, sandy hills and on the other side, sort of fairly significant drops most of the time. And I was aware that I didn't want to use the brakes too much because that would cause them to overheat. So as we started descending, you know, there was a lorry in front of us and I was deciding, well, do I want to brake hard now 
or should we go for the overtake? And I decided we'll overtake this lorry, brown lorry. So we come past, overtake it down the side of the road, and that's all fine. We take one corner and then another, and then I think, actually, we're going pretty fast now. Let's just stop. Let's reset the brakes and let's continue. And so I pull hard on the brakes and this metal and flesh and fabric contraption starts slowing down, down this hillside. And we get slower and slower until we're going at about a fast running pace, quite a fast running pace. And my hands are fully clenched over the brakes, pulling them in really tight. And at a point, we stop getting slower. And then we begin to pick up speed. And in that moment, I realize, oh my goodness, this, this is going to get really bad. I didn't think, I wasn't scared, but I just knew immediately we had to get off the bike. I shouted back to Carolyn. Carolyn, the brakes aren't working. We're going to have to jump. I have no idea what was going through Carolyn's head, that she had joined some random Brit on his tandem bike, on his harebrained adventure, and now you're told that you have to jump off the bike. Amazingly, Carolyn said, okay. And then we had to find an exit place. There was a strip of dirt, gray beige dirt with sort of stones in it that was coming up on the side. And beyond that, there was a metal roadside barrier. And so I aimed for this dirt and we moved off the highway. And I was hoping that being on this ground, this gravel would slow us down. It didn't. <laughs> we're still going fast and we're going faster. And this is the point where we have to get eject ourselves from the bike. But I don't know about you, but I've never had to jump from a bike before. I've never, I've spent my whole life trying not to jump from a bike. I've tried very hard to stay on it. And at this point, I was very much like, well, how, how, what do my muscles do? How do I get off this bike when it's still going at like, probably like 15 miles an hour at this point? Now, luckily, from at least one perspective, Carolyn either knew how to get off a bike at speed or was, had just more guts than me. She, she threw herself off which then forced the bike to go flying in the other direction. And then I went over the front of the handlebars. Right as we were approaching this metal barrier. And as I'm flying through the air, I can see it coming towards me. And I'm crashing down towards the earth. And I miss it by about three inches. And I'm skidding along on my shins and elbows. On the grass. Not the grass, the dirt. And as quiet as the tandem stops moving. And I get up and I run over to Carolyn. 
she's already up. She's got blood on her knees, on her elbows, but thank goodness she's okay. I look at myself and it's the same story. Blood everywhere, but no broken bones. Nothing worse than a scrape. Thank goodness. We got off pretty lightly. And a couple of minutes, well, about 30 seconds later, this brown lorry comes past us and says, Oh, we saw you. You're going pretty fast. You need a hand. And they're incredibly helpful in finding um, a car that will sort of take the bags and Carolyn to the next town and the nearest hospital. Um, so we can get patched up, which is another story in itself. The nurses there, bless them, just basically poured hydrogen peroxide on our wounds, uh, but didn't even clean them. And I was like, surely we want some water on these. And they're like, no, 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 just, just hydrogen peroxide. It'll be fine. Uh, later that evening, we went to the hotel and just scrubbed them out and sort of extracted, you know, a large part of, um, we kind of realized we'd gone mining for Kyrgyz minerals in our, in our body and yeah, extracted quite a bit from our cuts. Anyway, so I, in the end, decide, perhaps foolishly, that I want to continue this trip, all of it, by bike. And so Carolyn takes the bags um, down to the next town, which is called Caracal. And without the weight, I decide that it's going to be okay to uh, carry on. Now, the, you know, the brakes haven't worked very well. The brakes had overheated, but I think with less weight, I'll be okay. And after a little time, I kind of check everything over with the bike, make sure it's relatively safe. And I sort of descend again. Now around the next corner, I see what we would have faced if we hadn't jumped off the bike. And that was a 180 degree hairpin bend. And at that point I was like, oh my goodness, I am so glad we managed to eject ourselves because we would have gone flying off the edge. So the story ends happily enough that we get to Osh after several days more of riding, taking it very cautiously on the descents, um, a few times taking all the bags and Carolyn off and meeting up again at the bottom. Um, and luckily the wounds have now just about healed up. But I think for me, overall, the take home from this story is, you know, sometimes in life, it's okay to, to go with the flow. You're not in complete control and you can enjoy the downhill. But there are other times in life when you absolutely need to grab back control, pull on the brakes and make sure that what it, before whatever it is that happens, whether it's burnout, whether it's stress, whether it's... Um, you know, some sort of medical condition, you need to get on top of it. And at that point, you've bloody well got to hope that there are brakes to pull. And if not, well, there aren't that many options, but you've just got to jump and hope for the best. I really hope that you enjoyed this story and it brought you a little bit closer to the cycle that I'm doing from Bristol to Beijing. I would love to hear your thoughts about it, what you liked and what you didn't. It's a bit of an experiment, but I hope it's a way that will bring 
Central Asia, Kyrgyzstan, Chris. My own experience is a little bit closer to you and perhaps a little bit more relevant as well. The final thing I'll leave you with this week is a song that I captured a recording of and it's called Ilyazdin Iri and it's a Kyrgyz song that was composed during the Soviet period and it's about a lorry driver who goes on this long, long journey. He finds his love, he loses his love and he carries on. And I met with the wonderful Osh running and cycling clubs and they came together one evening, invited me along to this chaikhana. There was watermelon, there was plov, there was tea, and there was also some guitar playing and singing. And this is from that. Have a great week and I hope you enjoy.